Save your Bibles if you turn with me to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. We'll be looking at verse 18 this morning. Only a couple more sermons probably in Ephesians, maybe one more after this. But Ephesians 6, verse 18. Remember a couple weeks ago, as we're going through the armor of God here in Ephesians, we looked at the weapon that we have been given. It's in verse 17 there. It says, Take the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so we talked about the Word of God. We talked about the sword of the Spirit and what that means for us. And oftentimes you will hear uh, what is said is that this sword is our only weapon. And while I think Paul does allude to that uh, being our weapon, what we're going to see in Ephesians 6, in Ephesians 6, verse 18, is it seems as if Paul talks about prayer in a way where maybe it's not a weapon, but it is described, again, as a tool that God has given us and a, and a useful tool. So look at verse 18. As Paul says, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So he starts to talk about prayer and gives us some insight into prayer. But thinking about how this relates to the armor of God. There's actually a song that many of you probably know. Uh, we've sang it many times. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. George Dufield writing this. Uh, this is, listen to these lines that he says. I think he sums this up pretty good. He says, stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. Ye dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor. Each piece put on with prayer. Where duty calls or danger. Be never wanting there. He mentions here how prayer seems to be the catalyst for putting on this armor. And as we, as we pray and wear this armor together, we're able to stand boldly in our fight, in our fight against Satan, in our fight that we can't see. You remember the, the fight that takes place that we don't see with our eyes, but that we know we battle constantly on a daily basis at all times. And so prayer becomes this important tool that we are to have, to be praying that God will use the armor that he's given us to help us to withstand the fiery darts of Satan, but also to go boldly into a world that's lost and share the gospel with them, to use the word of God. And we pray that God will, will use that and we'll see people come to know the Lord. <coughs> and so today our focus is going to be on, on prayer. Now I want to remind you though, as we, as we talk about prayer, if you remember in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, what Paul's talking, who he's talking to here, he's talking to Christians. And he's talking to spirit-filled Christians. That's the way he describes these Christians, as, as spirit-filled Christian people. And so as Paul's talking to his Christians, he's telling them to be in prayer. Psalm 34, 15 uh, speaks of this as well. It's not just Paul who talks about prayer, right? But uh, the psalmist would write, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. I want to remind you this morning, I think we forget about this. The word prayer is thrown around so often and so much, even in our culture. You'll hear this, you know, uh, your prayer, my prayers are with you, or whatever it might be, or we should be praying for them. You've probably heard that this week with the horrible tragedies that took place in our country, this idea of, of prayers. But the Bible speaks very clearly to the fact that God, our Father, hears the prayers of his children. And that's why Paul is telling Christians here to be in prayer. 
as a Christian, as somebody who's been saved by God's grace, right, through faith in God, and, or through faith in Jesus, the Father wants to hear from his children. He wants to speak to you. He wants to, to hear your voice. Just like I hope that you come on Sunday morning uh, prayerfully, but part of that is saying, I hope to hear God this morning, to hear from his word. God wants to hear from you. He, he wants to hear from his children, and he does hear from us. Uh, Donald Whitney has a book. Uh, we've had it for sale before. I'm actually going to do a Sunday school class on this in our next uh, section of Sunday school. I don't know when it starts. Sometime in July, I think Pastor Spencer told me. But in his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, on prayer, he has a quote that I want to read for you because I thought this was, was very helpful when thinking about God's desire for us to pray and to speak to him. He says, but we must, we must see the expectation to pray not only as a divine summons, but also as a royal invitation. As the writer of Hebrew tells us, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can be prayer pessimists and see the expectation to pray merely as obligation. Or we can be optimists who view the command to pray as an opportunity to receive the mercy and grace of God. His example here, he says, my wife, Kathy, it's not Kathy, it's Kathy, a little different, expects me to call her when I travel. But that expectation is an expectation of love. She requires that I call because she wants to hear from me. God's expectation that we pray is like that. His command to pray is a command of love. In his love, he desires to communicate with us and to bless us. I know if I'm being honest, I often tend to be the side where prayer starts to feel more like obligation. And when I'm not praying like I should, which is probably most of the time, and I think we could probably, many of us in this room, attest to that ourselves. When you think about your spiritual life, prayer is probably one of the areas where you're like, man, I could really grow in that. I could really do better when it comes to prayer. But we start to think that it's this obligation and God is just angry at us. Because we're not checking that list of prayer off the box. But really, prayer, I love the way he said it, is a royal invitation. Where God the Father desires to hear from his children. He wants to commune with us and, and talk with us. And God has established prayer as a way for that to happen. And so it's a privilege for us to be able to, to pray to the Father. To be able to go to him with our needs, our wants, our desires. But also our thanksgiving, our adoration. Right? We, we, want, we need to be doing this on a regular basis. And so let's look at this uh, verse that Paul writes for us in verse 18. And we're going to break it down and look at each section uh, together this morning. Because Paul first says, praying at all times in the Spirit. Well, that first part, praying at all times. Think about that and it can be daunting. But first thing that, should, that comes to mind is, if Paul is urging us to be praying at all times, it shows us, doesn't it? It shows us just our utter dependence on the Lord in every area of life. And the fact is, many of us do not pray at all times because, frankly, we don't feel we need his help at all times. Many things we just feel we got. I have this. I have this under control. I don't, I don't really need to pray about this. Right? I've got a bank account that can cover this. I don't need to pray about this. Or I have this ability to do this or that or whatever it might be. But when Paul is urging this church, he's saying, 
to be praying at all times, it, it should hearken to us or make us think about we really do need the Lord at all moments in our life. And this goes back to verse 10 of chapter 6. Remember what he says as he started this section on the armor of God. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The only way that can happen is through prayer. And remembering your dependence on him each and every moment, each and every day, each and every second. And Paul's saying, in the strength of his might, right? That's through prayer. Paul, Paul is continuing this thought here at the end of the book of Ephesians. He's saying God uses prayer as our source of, of strength. All this armor that we are putting on, that we are to have, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the, the gospel shoes, all of this armor is powered by prayer in the believer's life. We need to be faithful in, in doing that. And we, we see this, don't we, in the life of Jesus. Think about Jesus' life. If there ever was a man on earth who could say, I got this, it was him. But oftentimes in the Gospels, so often we see him going off on his own to what? To pray, to seek the Father's face. And prayer was just so instrumental. And it didn't seem as if in Jesus' life it was an obligation. It, it seemed as if it was an enjoyment. Hey, I need to go speak to my Father. I get to go speak to my Father. I get to commune with him in prayer. And so even Jesus himself showed us the importance of praying at all times and how he was faithful to that. And so we need to live a life of prayer. I'm sure you know 1 Thessalonians 5.17. I'm sure you've quoted it before. You've said it in your head. But it says very simply, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Now again, I think about my prayer life and I think, man, here's another check in the box of failure for me. Pray without ceasing. What in the world does this really mean? Am I supposed to spend every day in my little closet that I've made for myself with my sticky notes of things that I'm praying? I'm supposed to spend 24 hours in there? When do I eat? When do I go to the bathroom? When do I work and make money? Am I supposed to spend it on my knees next to my bed praying nonstop each and every day? What is, what is the writer really getting at in 1 Thessalonians that I should be praying every day? Well, I thought this was helpful. Ian Hamilton in his commentary on Ephesians says it could mean that prayer is to be the basic disposition of the life of faith. We are to live before God in an attitude of prayer. So what I think this means is as we go about our daily life, as we go to work, as we go to kids' events, this weekend maybe for Memorial Day you have some get-together that you're looking forward to, and that's great. But as we live our daily life, we're being always mindful of our need, number one, to rely on God to make it through the day. But number two, we're always being mindful of others' needs around us. We're reminded of the people who are around us at that moment when we're at work or when we're at the family get-together or whatever it might be. And remembering, as we're communing with God in a, in a prayer that's never ceasing, remembering the answer to their problems is Christ. The answer to my needs is Christ. And it helps to keep us balanced in that way, to know this. And so, so we live in this way of a prayer as constantly with God. So again, it's not, it's not a kneel down time, even though you should have those times. It's not these special times. It is a life devoted to prayer and remembering our dependence on the Lord 
in all things. But Paul doesn't just say here, pray at all times. He says, pray at all times in the Spirit. And I want to remind us this morning, as I was reminded in studying this, which was helpful, there is a right and there is a wrong way to pray. And Jesus warns of this in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, because in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 6, he says, and when you pray, and he gives a negative right off the bat, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, what is he getting at here? Is what, is what Jesus teaching here, is he saying you should never pray in the synagogue? Is Jesus saying you should never stand in the corner and pray? Is Jesus teaching here that the only true way to pray is to go into your room in secret? Is that the point of what Jesus is trying to bring out here? No. It's an attitude, isn't it? It's an attitude that Jesus is pointing out. The hypocrites are standing in the street corner and screaming in the synagogue. Why? Because they want attention. They want everybody to see their righteousness. They want everybody to see their, their holiness. And so it's not about a dependence upon God. It's about what others see in them. That's what they want. And so Jesus is trying to combat that. And so he's telling his followers, don't be like that. We don't pray so that everybody can see us praying. We pray so that we can speak to the Father. And guess what? The Father can hear you in your room in secret. It doesn't have to be in church. It doesn't have to be in some special place. The Father knows where you are and he hears your prayers. And that is what Jesus is saying. And so he's encouraging these people and warning these people, do not pray in the wrong way. Pray in the correct way. Mark chapter 7, verse 6, the second part of 6 through 7, he says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain, they, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. I think this is something that we have to be careful about, don't you? How often in your prayer life has it just been vain words, right? Just, just vain words, just an action to check the box of prayer so that when your mom and dad ask, did you say your prayers today? You can say, yeah, I did. Now I mentioned that to kids, but maybe you don't answer to mom and dad anymore, but you answer to yourself, did I pray today? Yep, I prayed during lunch. God would bless the food. Right, we, we say these things, and oftentimes they can be just in vain. It's not out of a true spirit of worship or of honoring the Lord. And that's where I think we all probably could do better. I know I can in my life because when we talk about prayer, and you remember before I, I mentioned how God hears the voice of his children. In fact, the only people who can truly pray honestly and rightly are believers. The lost don't have that ability to pray to the Father because prayer is an outflow of the heart in our relationship to the Lord. And this is what really got me the most probably as I was studying this and preparing for this of where God convicted me. is saying, Tim, as you, as you pray, it needs to be an outflow of the heart of, of, of your relationship with me, of my love for you that you're seeing for me in, in, your, in my word and 
being a part of worship service and church family together in your life. And, and so prayer should be an overflow of that in your life and in your heart. And so when we do that, when it's an overflow of God's goodness in our life or, or our understanding of who God is, this overflow out of our heart goes to him in prayer. And then inevitably what we're doing is we're going to pray in a way then that's honorable to him. Right? It's honorable to the things of him when we're reflecting back on scripture. Right? When we're praying in accordance with the word of God. This is, this is honorable to him. I'll, I'll be honest, one of the biggest things in my prayer life that changed my life was learning how to Pray the word of God. I was never taught that. Again, I was raised here. I'm not trying to ridicule anybody. That, is, that was foreign to me. To be honest, the Catholics prayed scripture. And, and, and what, we, what I would always think is there's no meaning behind it. There's no heart behind it because they're not saying their own words. They're just repeating this. But I remember learning about what it meant to pray the word of God and to take a psalm or to take one of Paul's prayer, to take a passage of scripture and to, to pray through it the truths of God's word as you see it and as you read it and to reflect on that and to prayer of the Lord, I started to realize what it meant to pray out of the overflow of your heart from that. Then you're never short of words. You're never short of things to pray for because it's coming from the, from the word of God. But then also we have confidence because when we pray in the spirit in this way, we have confidence that God will answer that prayer. And you say, oh no, our pastor's starting to get to some prosperity stuff. I'm not, I'm not hinting at that. But when we're play, praying in the Spirit in accordance to the Word of God, then we're praying things that we know God desires. Again, this was a helpful reminder of me because I'm, maybe you catch this often with, with me, but I'm a glass half empty guy. That's just how I, how I roll. I'm, I'm a glass half empty guy. So too often in my life, when I'm praying for my lost friends, what is in the back of my mind is probably not going to happen though. Sadly, that's what's there. Probably not going to happen. I'd love it to, God, but it's probably not your will, I guess. Hey, anybody, I mean, I don't want you to raise your hand, but does anybody else struggle with that? Because I do. And it was helpful to be reminded, when we pray for the lost, knowing what it says in Timothy, that God desires for all men to be saved. What we're praying for is we're actually praying for the heart cry of our Father. God saved the soul of my friend. God saved the soul of my parents or my grandparents or my siblings. That's not a selfish prayer. That's a prayer that comes directly from Scripture. It's a prayer that falls in line perfectly with a prayer of the Spirit, in the Spirit. God, save their soul. Help them to see the truth of your word. These are the prayers that we pray in the spirit. Again, a, a prayer that oftentimes will feel selfish, but it's not a selfish prayer. It's praying for the church. And, and again, I, I pray for the church and I say, God, let, let your church be healthy and let it be vibrant and let it, let it grow. But then I think, but probably not. But yet the church is... He's the bride of Christ. He loves the church. And so we should be praying for the church and we should expect God to work in the life of the church. Why? Because he's told us in his word, this is how I work through the church. <laughs> I work through the church. I've given them God's word. They, they preach it and they teach it. And this is why I work through. And so we need to be praying for the church as we pray in the spirit or as we pray for the hurting. Again, I... 
we can struggle with this. We pray for people maybe right now around our country who are hurting. But we think, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to happen. But the Bible tells us when we talks about Jesus that where, where is rest truly found? It's found in him. There's no other place in this world where true rest is found. It can only be found in Christ. And so when we pray, God, help the, those who are hurting find rest in you. This is a prayer in accordance with the Spirit. Because in all these prayers, we know that it's the God's will. And we say, let his will be done, right? For his glory, not for ours. And these are the things that God is going to do. He is going to do the things that are for, for his good and thus for our good. And so this is what it means as we pray in the Spirit. We're praying, understanding, God, let your will be done. We pray your word and what it says, and we want this to come to fruition. We want these things to be true. We know that you've made these promises. We trust in you with these things. And God, we want your will to be done above everything else. That's why we always pray in Jesus' name, amen. Because we're saying in accordance to his will, let it all be done. And so as we have a prayer life that is in the Spirit, Wherever we find ourselves, whatever situation we are in, whatever it might be, when we're praying in line with the Spirit, then we have an understanding that where I'm at is in accordance with God's plan at this moment. And though this prayer may not be being answered, it's okay because all things work for His good. I might be struggling here. I don't know what that good is to me, but it's got to be good because it's His. It's his plan. So again, this is life and prayer in the spirit. Well, Paul goes on and he says, pray at all times in the spirit, but also we are to pray with all prayer and supplication. If you're a note taker, this is a good section for notes because it's very easy. I think what Paul's pointing out here is types of prayer. And there's a little acrostic, acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And as we pray, these are types of prayers. These are things that we can be praying for and about. Number one, adoration. As we see even in the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be thy name. Right? Jesus himself, as he goes to the Father, hallowed be thy name. What's he doing? He's praising the Father. And this should be a part of our prayer life. Praising God for who he is and what he has done. And this should be the first step in our prayer. I know I struggle with this. A lot of times, maybe you do this too. God, please help me in this moment. It's always that. Right? Lord, at this time, help. Oh, and really trying to get used to having a general sense of when we first approach the Father to remember I'm approaching God Almighty. And He has given me open access to Him, complete access to Him. And it is Him who I approach at this moment. And so trying to recognize that, and that's why we need to know who He is. And then we praise him and we honor him. And so we must know God in order to do this. We praise him and honor him for who he is. So that's adoration. That usually then should lead to confession, just like with Isaiah. When he goes into the presence of God, his first thing is, oh boy, I shouldn't be here. And there's confession that falls out of him. And as we, as we praise God for who he is, all powerful, all knowing, all merciful, all gracious, it then leads us to think about ourselves and to say our confessions before him. God, I'm not worthy to be able to approach your throne. God, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my struggles. Forgive me of these things that I constantly turn away from you. Confession, while very humbling, it's something that we are called to do. 
Because as Christians, while it is humbling, it's also very comforting because we go to a father that we know forgives us. Do you ever have a time in your life as a kid? Uh, sometimes My mom worked as well, but sometimes she was at home, and I remember she'd say, when your dad gets home. Because she couldn't catch me. That was the thing. And I remember she'd try to catch me, and it was like, you're never going to catch me. I'm way, way faster than you, Mom, right? We said, when your dad gets home, and I was like, well, he's faster than me. And so I think sometimes when we go to confession, this is what we picture. And I've learned now, being a dad, that that's one of the most unfair things in the world to do to a dad, moms. I want you to know that. You walk in completely blinded. Hey, can you go whip him? For what? I just walked in. What are you talking about? I got to get angry over something I don't even know happened. But we think this about God, I think. When we start to praise him and we start to confess, I think in our minds, our, half, our glass half empty minds, we think God's just mad and angry at us, but that's not true. When we pray according to God's word, we know that he is there to forgive and to continue to love and it's without end for his children. Over and over and over again, his mercy is there for us. So as we pour out our heart to him in confession, it then leads to thanksgiving because we know he is there loving us and forgiving us. And so then our prayer life needs to have thanksgiving a part of it. And we should never neglect our salvation, thanking him for the love that he has for us and our salvation. But I would guess many of you in this room, like me, could make a very long list of things to be thankful for that aren't even spiritual in nature. Where we could go from one step to the next to the next. No matter what you're facing in your life right now, I guarantee you can think of many things to be thankful for. And oftentimes this is something we push aside in our prayer life, but it's something we need to be faithful to. But then lastly is supplication. In Matthew 6, 11, you remember in the Lord's Prayer, there was a section in there where it said, give us this day our daily bread. And so Jesus instructs us to pray to the Father for things that we need, even those things that we desire. And this is what you do in a loving relationship. The Father wants to hear these things. Yes, we pray according to Scripture. We, we praise Him and all this stuff. But God actually does want to hear your needs and your desires. And I have found in my life, God has even used some of those prayers to show me faults. God, I would really like this. And then it, really quickly I realized, ooh, I should, that's pretty selfish. I mean, God begins to work in my heart over those things, even through prayer. And he shows me that, Tim, maybe this isn't the best thing. And I've shared this with you before. One of the biggest things I think that's ever happened in my life is when God allowed me to pray, change my desires to be your desires. Because at a time in my life when God was pointing me in one direction, but all my wants were in another direction. I remember reading his word and, and talking to a lot of people and coming to the conclusion, you know, if God would make me want this, it wouldn't be so hard to give up this. And so starting to pray, God, I, I really want you to change my desires. I would, I would press that on to you as teenagers, if there's any teenagers here this morning. Because you're at a stage in life or if you're in college where you're starting to think of the things that you want to do in your life, to be praying, God, help me to want to do what you would have me want to do. To be where you want me to be. Make that my actual passion. And I think that's something that a lot of Christians need to be praying about because we have a lot of Christians today who are not happy with where they are at. But guess what? It's where you're at. And you should be praying, God, make me happy where I'm at. 
right? God, God, make this to be my desire here. Now, it's interesting because another thing that I think about, and I think this is a way for me to get out of prayer, maybe spiritually, is to say, maybe you've prayed a prayer like this. God, I'm kind of busy. You know everything. We good? Am I the only one who's ever done that? I mean, I've done that before. You are all-knowing. You know everything. I got to go. Now, that's not a good prayer either. Uh, Maybe in a time crunch, if you really had to. But I want to remind you again, God does know everything. He does all know. He knows all your needs. He knows all your desires. He knows all your wants. He knows absolutely everything about you. And he doesn't need you to pray to him in order for him to find these things out about you. It's not a counseling session. He's not some psychiatrist trying to figure you out. He figured you out. He does know you. Yet even in the midst of knowing you, he says, but I want you to come and talk to me. I want you to tell me everything you need. I want you to tell me everything you want. Now think about the patience that shows us of the Father. Think about how many times your children have come home from school and they are just going a million miles an hour and you are thinking in your head, just be quiet. I know. I know you need a juice box. I know you need a sandwich. I know you need this. I know we leave at 7.15. Stop reminding me. God the Father never does that. He wants to hear from you always, every single detail, at all times. This is because of the great love he has for us. But then Paul moves on, and he says we are to pray with alertness and perseverance. So he says, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. I want to read for you from Matthew 26, verse 36 through 45. You'll remember this if you've been in church very long. It says, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later. Later on, see, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Clearly, we see in this passage Satan battling away at the disciples. A lot of times we focus on Jesus in this passage, which we should, and we see Satan battling there as well, don't we? Getting to the point where Jesus is crying out to his father, if it can get, if any other way, let it happen. But we see the defeat of Satan and Jesus saying, but not my will, your will be done. But then sadly, when Jesus goes to the disciples, we see the victory of Satan over his disciples, don't we? Asleep again, asleep again, and then a third time, asleep again. 
The disciples couldn't even stay awake at one of the most crucial times in history. Dare say the most crucial time in all of history. In Jesus, their best friend, the one that they loved, the one that they called their savior, asked them a favor. Would you please pray with me? I'm going to go over here and pray. Would you please stay here and pray? And they failed him. Three times. They failed him. They failed him. They failed him. What do we see in this? We see the weakness of their flesh, don't we? Now, some would say, and I would even argue this, give the guys a break. They just had a meal. Now it's nighttime. They're dozing off a little bit. I mean, that's just normal human nature. Everybody does this. It's getting late and they're tired. Can't you cut them a break? But we see the weakness of our flesh just in that. How often have you bowed down to pray and then your alarm went off? I mean, seriously. Sometimes we use that as a trick for sleep. You don't take Z-Quil or NyQuil. You're like, I'll pray. That's going to put me to sleep instantly. And so you just start praying. You start naming names off. And the next thing you know, you wake up and the, sun, the sun's coming up. It's a beautiful thing. But again, it shows us, does it not, our utter dependence on God in every moment in our life that you and I are so weak that we can't even stay up a little longer to pray, to pray and speak to our Father. And again, I'm not throwing anything on you. I'm this, I am the same way. I'm just, it points again to the weakness of the flesh and our need of the armor of God. Our need of the sword of the Spirit. Our need to be praying constantly to our Father. Saying, Father, help us to be alert. Help us to persevere in this life. Because the disciples were asked to be alert and they fall asleep. In our temptations, in our struggle, the Bible over and over again. Stay alert to temptation. But what do we do? We get lazy. We get lazy. We get too prideful. And we start to think, oh, I can handle it. I don't have to be that alert. And what happens? Satan has you. You know it. You fall into it. You've done it. I've done it. So this is why Paul says, pray with alertness and with all perseverance, knowing what is going on. Remember, Satan is like a roaring lion. What's he doing? He's prowling around looking for you to devour you. And so be alert at all time in prayer with perseverance. Then Paul goes on making supplication for all the saints. It's beautiful how Paul now takes it away from just us, our prayer life being just about us, to now our prayer life expanding to us, from us to all the saints. All those who God has saved by his grace, expanding our prayer to these. And what does this do? Well, it keeps us humble, right? The world's not just about us. There's other things happening in this world. There's other Christians in this world struggling. There's other Christians in this world whose God is blessing, is moving through, and we need to be praying for them. So it makes us humble. It keeps us also, though, engaged in the world. How can I pray well if I don't know what's going on? So I need to know what's happening in the world. And so it actually takes effort to try to figure it out. What's happening within the church? What are the things that I can be praying for to pray for other people or Talking to my neighbor in their church down the road. I'm going to be praying for you through that. Being willing to do that keeps us engaged in the world. 
But then it also creates compassion within us, which I think we all would uh, do well to have a little bit more. We have compassion for what our fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord are going through all over the world. Yeah, it might be thousands and thousands of miles away, but the threat, the pain, the hurt is real of the things that they're going through. You and I take for granted the fact that we get to sit here this morning and preach the word of God without any worry. I have no worries at all right now that the police are going to come in here and arrest me. I have no worries at all that the military is going to come in here and say, we're, sh we're shipping you off. You're going to die. Not a single one. But yet, there's thousands of pastors across the world right now who are doing it in secret. And maybe they might not say they're scared, but you know they're scared because they know that at any moment there could be a knock at the door saying, we heard that there's a Bible study here. You're going to jail. We're going to kill you tomorrow because of what you're doing. Now, I know this has been said many, many times, but again, it shows our lack of alertness and perseverance, does it not, in these things? Because we do take these things for granted. And so as we pray for the saints around the world or our neighbors and other Christians, not just, not just us here, it should create some compassion within us. Now, the way I want to end this sermon, hopefully, is on a high note. Because if you're like me, after going through these points, what I'm left with is discouragement, not excitement. Because I see in my life how weak I am in prayer. It's a struggle I know for many of us, for many Christians. But most likely, I would, I would guess that you agree with me that in your life, you could do better when it comes to prayer. And again, there's tons of reasons for this. Maybe it's laziness in your life. Maybe you use the excuse that I like to use, I'm too busy. Maybe your relationship with God is not what it should be. And so when you hear about praying as an overflow, that's what your problem is. There's no overflow. Your cup's barely full. You struggle to find joy just to come into church and worship, let alone pray and have it overflow throughout the week. So when our heart isn't really overflowing with the gladness of God, when we're struggling in all these different areas, what can the positive word be? What does the Bible tell me then? Am I just a miserable wretch and I need to move on or I just need to strive to do better? What is the answer to all of this? I think there's two things that hopefully will be encouraging to you. And the first one is in Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, it says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he, this being Jesus, always lives to make intercession for them. I want to remind you this morning that even though you struggle in your prayer life, most likely, and I'm not trying to give you an excuse to not do better, but although you probably struggle like I do in your prayer life, know this, Jesus' prayer life never wanes when it comes to you. He's interceding for you perfectly to the Father, always. Even right now. Right now, I, I mean, you can hear the son saying, help him to stay with the pastor a little longer. I know it's a little boring. I know he's hungry. I know it's nice outside. Draw his mind to your word some more. Help him to see, Father, your goodness. Help him to see the love that we have for him this morning. 
these words rolling off the lips of our Savior to the Father again and again and again for you as an individual. Jesus interceding on your behalf and doing what you cannot do yet again. Will you not stay and pray for one more hour? You're asleep again. But yet Jesus is there praying perfectly for you. But as we see the Trinity working, it's not just Jesus, but in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, we see the Holy Spirit prays for us as well. It says, likewise, the Spirit helps in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I think about those times with kids, with children, when they think they know what they want or what they need. And you as a supervisor, as a mentor, as a parent, as a grandparent, you listen to them and you smile at them and you maybe even shake your head at them. But deep down, you know, actually, this is what you need. And being a good grandparent or a good parent or a good teacher, what do you give them? You give them what they need because you love them because you care for them. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing for us. As you try your best to mumble along in your prayer life, trying to think through all the things to pray for, be encouraged this morning that the Son and the Spirit are perfectly praying for you the things that you actually need. The things that you so desperately need that fall in line with God's word to be drawn closer to him, to understand his goodness, right? Maybe, maybe sometimes these are the things that we don't like, Right? God, they're, they're, they need to struggle to see their dependence needs to be on you, not on themselves. You would never pray that. I'm just guessing. I don't want to pry into your life, but I'm guessing very rarely have you prayed, God, make my life miserable until I fall in line with what you want. I'm just guessing you don't pray that very often. But that should be something that crosses our lips. God, whatever it takes, I want to be faithful to you. I want to be yours. I, I want to live the life that you have for me completely. Mold me and make me into the image of your son, whatever it takes. While you might not be willing to pray that, Jesus is for you. The Holy Spirit is praying that for you. And the Father is working that out in your life because he's a good father and he cares for you. And so wherever you are today in your prayer life, as a Christian, I hope that you'll be encouraged in this. God is continuing to work on you. God loves you and he cares for you that he set up his system so perfectly that he himself is praying for you exactly what you need. And he's meeting those needs for his good and for his glory. And as Christians, that's what we want. We want everything for his good and for his glory. So hopefully as a church family, as individual Christians, we will be faithful to pray. That we will pray how God has called us to pray. That we will live a life of prayer. But we also won't be crushed by the fact that probably none of us in here live up to that like we should. Because we know that God is there praying for us. Let's bow together. Let's pray this morning. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the word of God uh, today. And we'll sing a song as well. So let's pray. God, we do thank you for who you are and 
for what you have done and what you do. God, I know we talk about this so often, but the need to know your word is so immense because we can't even pray without knowing your word. As we know who you are, as we see your attributes, God, it it should just fill within us an awe that then pours out of us in prayer. God, help us to be more willing to pray. Help us to take it seriously. Help us to not be like the hypocrites who use prayer as a tool to look holy or to look righteous. Help us to pray in the spirit, how you've called us to do that. Never ceasing to realize our dependence on you each and every moment of the day. God, that that would bring out within us also compassion for others as we see people that we, that we talk to or who we run into or even just see. To know their hurts and their needs and that you are the answer to that. God, that it would draw compassion in our hearts. Not anger, not rage, but just a desire to pray for them more or to share with them the truth of who you are. That rest cannot be found in this world apart from Christ. It's not there. That they labor in vain. So God, I pray that our our prayer life would be nurtured. That you would help it to grow. That it would become even easy pray to you, to speak to you in that way, and that, God, that you would use prayer in our life. I I know there's people here this morning who've been praying for years and years and years for individuals to come to know you as their Lord and Savior. God, I I pray along with them, God, that that they would see that happen, that you would give them maybe an opportunity to share about Jesus and who he is, and God, that you would work in their life and that you would, you would save their soul through Christ. God, we we pray for that desperately. So God, I pray that we wouldn't give up on those prayers either, that we would continue to go to your throne and to lay them at your feet. God, help us to remember each day this week that you are a good and loving father who cares for us. You, You want to hear from us because you love us. And God, I pray that we would want to hear from you because we love you. So God, do increase our prayer life, but we thank you so much that even right now, Jesus himself is sitting at your right hand and interceding for us. And also the Holy Spirit is praying for us right now for the things we don't even know we need or understand that we need, or maybe that we're not willing to pray for ourselves. God, we thank you that you do that work for us. You're so kind to us. God, help us now as we worship you. Help us to worship you alone as we sing this song and help us each individually to respond to your word how we should during this time we ask in Jesus' name.